We're going to do this afternoon a little differently than we usually do our scripture readings. Usually I try to give you an overview of the book and so forth. Here's what I want to do this time. Imagine just while, while we're going through the book of First Peter, I want you to imagine that you are part of the Christians that had to leave Jerusalem in Acts chapter 7 and 8 because of the persecution from Saul. This is a little bit later in, in history, but they're still dispersed because of that persecution. In the, in the book of Acts, you have the Christians start going through persecution and they leave. Well, some of them went back to their homelands, but a lot of them went to other places. And so First Peter is written to those people who are being persecuted and are not living in their normal, in their normal homes. First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the, things that, <clears throat> in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels now long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, 
through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So he starts off chapter 1 and says, you have a living hope. It's not, your hope is not based in where you used to live or how you used to see the future. You have a living hope, one that is alive, that is moving you to do something. And so he says, here's what it moves you to do. If you have the hope of Jesus Christ, therefore, verse 13, you need to get ready for action. You need, to, you need to be able to turn your faith into something that actually makes you do something. James says that faith without works is dead. And so then he says that you have something that is not going to wither or pass away. It's going to be there forever. The good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it, sa- for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor So the honor is for you who believe. But those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of defense, rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race of royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and do his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, And to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd 
and overseer of your souls. So he starts saying, here's, here's some practical things that you need to do. You need to be subject to the, honor, to, the, to the powers that be, to the government, to the emperor, whether or not they're just or, or unjust. You need, if you're a slave, you need to be honorable to your master, whether he's a Christian or he's not a Christian, whether he's treating you fairly or he's not treating you fairly. I just wonder, what does that have to say about people who almost put their religion on the back burner so that they can light up somebody in politics or light up somebody that's mistreating somebody else? And Peter says we need to, we need to remain honorable and subject to the people over us, whether they're just or unjust. Verse 3, chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in, all, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. <clears throat> Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there who, to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteous sake, righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the, prison, to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt of the body, but as an appeal to God because of a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensualities, passions, 
drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and malign you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though the, that, sorry, those who are, who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the people, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be, dis- do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, we will be, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you, as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, subject yourself to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he adds at the end, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son, Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. 
So that's the book of First Peter. I want to follow up as we offer the invitation here in just a second with this. Everything we just read, Peter says at the end, this is the true grace of God. So what did he talk about? The resurrection from the dead, our subject, our being subject to the principalities and powers of this world, governments, masters, business owners, bosses, etc. Our being, he says it a couple times, sober-minded. Our knowing what we've been called to do. Our looking at persecution, looking at trials and knowing that the reason why they're coming is so that we can be stronger in the end. Our ability to hold to one another regardless of what's going on on the outside. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. See, the Corinthians thought that meant as long as you show love to one another, doesn't matter what kind of sins you're in. What Peter says is, as long as you show what love to one another, if you become in sin, y'all will fix it together. Not you, y'all. Old-fashioned Southern Peter, y'all will fix it together. That's the book of 1 Peter. And then he says, this is the true grace of God. If you want to know the grace of God on earth, it is wrapped up in a knowledge of the resurrection, submission to the people who are over us, brotherly love and compassion and stick to and an ability to look at persecution and know that we're going to be okay. That's what grace looks like on earth. But then at the beginning, he says, you've also obtained salvation. That's the grace that we know is coming, but we don't know what it looks like yet. We know what the grace looks like right here. If you need to become a Christian this afternoon or need to repent of sins, uh, I think Peter makes it pretty clear that the answer to sins within the church is other Christians loving each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. We will fix it together. If you need to repent of sins, you need to become a Christian It says in this book, baptism now saves you. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the inquiry, the appeal of a good conscience toward God. That means when you have a good conscience, you've believed the truth, you know that you've repented, you're going to have the conscience to say, I need to finish the way of God. I need to complete what God has called me to do and be baptized for the remission of sins. So if you need to respond, let's do that as we stand and sing.